Chapter Twenty of the Riddle of the Universe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Riddle of the Universe by Ernst Haeckel, translated by Joseph McCabe. Chapter Twenty solution of the world problems a glance at the progress of the nineteenth century in solving cosmic problems one progress of astronomy and cosmology physical and chemical unity of the universe cosmic metamorphoses evolution of the planetary system analogy of the phylogenetic processes on the earth and on other planets organic inhabitants of other heavenly bodies periodic variation in the making of worlds two progress of geology and paleontology neptunism and volcanism theory of continuity three progress of physics and chemistry four progress of biology cellular theory and theory of descent five anthropology origin of man general conclusion at the close of our philosophic study of the riddles of the universe we turn with confidence to the answer to the momentous question how nearly have we approached to a solution of them what is the value of the immense progress which the passing nineteenth century has made in the knowledge of nature and what prospect does it open out to us for the future for the further development of our system in the twentieth century at the threshold of which we pause every unprejudiced thinker who impartially considers the solid progress of our empirical science and the unity and clearness of our philosophic interpretation of it will share our view the nineteenth century has made greater progress in knowledge of the world and in grasp of its nature than all its predecessors it has solved many great problems that seemed insoluble a hundred years ago it has opened out to us new provinces of learning the very existence of which was unsuspected at the beginning of the century above all it has put clearly before our eyes the lofty aim of monistic cosmology and has pointed out the path which alone will lead us toward it the way of the exact empirical investigation of facts and of the critical genetic study of their causes the great abstract law of mechanical causality of which our cosmological law the law of substance is but another and a concrete expression now rules the entire universe as it does the mind of man it is the steady immovable pole star whose clear light falls on our path through the dark labyrinth of the countless separate phenomena to see the truth of this more clearly 
let us cast a brief glance at the astonishing progress which the chief branches of science have made in this remarkable period one progress of astronomy the study of the heavens is the oldest the study of man the youngest of the sciences with regard to himself and the character of his being man only obtained a clear knowledge in the second half of the present century with regard to the starry heavens the motions of the planets and so on he had acquired astonishing information forty-five hundred years ago the ancient chinese hindus egyptians and chaldeans in the distant east knew more of the science of the spheres than the majority of educated christians did in the west four thousand years after them an eclipse of the sun was astronomically observed in china in the year two thousand six hundred ninety seven b c and the plane of the ecliptic was determined by means of a gnome eleven hundred years b c while christ himself had no knowledge whatever of astronomy indeed he looked out upon heaven and earth nature and man from the very narrowest geocentric and anthropocentric point of view the greatest advance of astronomy is generally and rightly said to be the founding of the heliocentric system of copernicus whose famous work de revolutionibus orbium celestium of itself caused a profound revolution in the minds of thoughtful men in overthrowing the ptolemaic system he destroyed the foundation of the christian theory which regarded the earth as the centre of the universe and man as the godlike ruler of the earth it was natural therefore that the christian clergy with the pope at its head should enter upon a fierce struggle with the invaluable discovery of copernicus yet it soon cleared a path for itself when kepler and galileo grounded on it their true mechanics of the heavens and newton gave it a solid foundation by his theory of gravitation sixteen eighty six a further great advance comprehending the entire universe was the application of the idea of evolution to astronomy it was done by the youthful kant in seventeen fifty five in his famous general natural history and theory of the heavens he undertook the discussion not only of the constitution but also of the mechanical origin of the whole world structure on newtonian principles the splendid système du monde of laplace who had independently come to the same conclusions as kant on the world problem gave so firm a basis to this new mecanique celeste in seventeen ninety six that it looked as if nothing entirely new of equal importance was left to be discovered in the nineteenth century yet here again it had the honor of opening out entirely new paths and infinitely enlarging our outlook on the universe the invention of photography and photometry and especially of spectral analysis in eighteen sixty by bunsen and kirchhoff 
introduced physics and chemistry into astronomy and led to cosmological conclusions of the utmost importance it was now made perfectly clear that matter is the same throughout the universe and that its physical and chemical properties in the most distant stars do not differ from those of the earth under our feet the monistic conviction which we thus arrived at of the physical and chemical unity of the entire cosmos is certainly one of the most valuable general truths which we owe to astrophysics the new branch of astronomy which is honorably associated with the name of friedrich zollner not less important is the clear knowledge we have obtained that the same laws of mechanical development that we have on the earth rule throughout the infinite universe a vast all-embracing metamorphosis goes on continuously in all parts of the universe just as it is found in the geological history of the earth it can be traced in the evolution of its living inhabitants as surely as in the history of peoples or in the life of each human individual in one part of space we perceive with the aid of our best telescopes vast nebulae of glowing infinitely attenuated gas we see in them the embryos of heavenly bodies billions of miles away in the first stage of their development in some of these stellar embryos the chemical elements do not seem to be differentiated yet but still buried in the homogeneous primitive matter prothyl at an enormous temperature calculated to run into millions of degrees it is possible that the original basic substance vide page two hundred twenty nine is not yet divided into ponderable and imponderable matter in other parts of space we find stars that have cooled down into glowing fluid and yet others that are cold and rigid we can tell their stage of evolution approximately by their color we find stars that are surrounded with rings and moons like saturn and we recognize in the luminous ring of the nebula the embryo of a new moon which has detached itself from the mother planet just as the planet was released from the sun many of the stars the light of which has taken thousands of years to reach us are certainly suns like our own mother sun and are girt about with planets and moons just as in our own solar system we are justified in supposing that thousands of these planets are in a similar stage of development to that of our earth that is they have arrived at a period when the temperature at the surface lies between the freezing and boiling point of water and so permits the existence of water in its liquid condition that makes it possible that carbon has entered into the same complex combinations on those planets as it has done on our earth and that from its nitrogenous compounds protoplasm has been evolved that wonderful substance which alone as far as our knowledge goes is the possessor of organic life the monera for instance chromatia and bacteria 
which consist only of this primitive protoplasm and which arise by spontaneous generation from these inorganic nitrocarbonates may thus have entered upon the same course of evolution on many other planets as on our own first of all living cells of the simplest character would be formed from their homogeneous protoplasmic body by the separation of an inner nucleus from the outer cell body cytostoma further the analogy that we find in the life of all cells whether plasmodomous plant cells or plasmophagous animal cells justifies the inference that the further course of organic evolution on these other planets has been analogous to that of our own earth always of course given the same limits of temperature which permit water in a liquid form in the glowing liquid bodies of the stars where water can only exist in the form of steam and on the cold extinct suns where it can only be in the shape of ice such organic life as we know is impossible the similarity of phylogeny or the analogy of organic evolution which we may thus assume in many stars which are at the same stage of biogenetic development naturally opens out a wide field of brilliant speculation to the constructive imagination a favorite subject for such speculation has long been the question whether there are men or living beings like ourselves perhaps much more highly developed in other planets among the many works which have sought to answer the question those of camille flammarion the parisian astronomer have recently been extremely popular they are equally distinguished by exuberant imagination and brilliant style and by a deplorable lack of critical judgment and biological knowledge we may condense in the following thesis the present condition of our knowledge on the subject one it is very probable that a similar biogenetic process to that of our own earth is taking place on some of the other planets of our solar system mars and venus and on many planets of other solar systems first simple monera are formed by spontaneous generation and from these arise unicellular protists first plasmodomus primitive plants and then plasmophagous primitive animals two it is very probable that from these unicellular protists arise in the further course of evolution first social cell communities synobia and subsequently tissue forming plants and animals metaphyta and metazoa three it is also very probable that thallophyta algae and fungi were the first to appear in the plant kingdom then diaphyta mosses and ferns finally anthophyta gymnosperm and angiosperm flowering plants four it is equally probable that the biogenetic process took a similar course in the animal kingdom that from the blastiads 
catalacta first gastriads were formed and from these lower animal forms cylentaria higher organisms cylomaria were afterwards evolved five on the other hand it is very questionable whether the different stems of these higher animals and those of the higher plants as well run through the same course of development on other planets as on our earth six in particular it is wholly uncertain whether there are vertebrates on other planets and whether in the course of their phyletic development taking millions of years mammals are formed as on earth reaching their highest point in the formation of man in such an event millions of changes would have to be just the same in both cases seven it is much more probable on the contrary that other planets have produced other types of the higher plants and animals which are unknown on our earth perhaps from some higher animal stem which is superior to the vertebrate in formation higher beings have arisen who far transcend us earthly men in intelligence eight the possibility of our ever entering into direct communication with such inhabitants of other planets seems to be excluded by the immense distance of our earth from the other heavenly bodies and the absence of the requisite atmosphere in the intervening space which contains only ether but while many of the stars are probably in a similar stage of biogenetic development to that of our earth for the last one hundred million years at least others have advanced far beyond this stage and in their planetary old age are hastening towards their end the same end that inevitably awaits our own globe the radiation of heat into space gradually lowers the temperature until all the water is turned into ice that is the end of all organic life the substance of the rotating mass contracts more and more the rapidity of its motion gradually falls off the orbits of the planets and of their moons grow narrower at length the moons fall upon the planets and the planets are drawn into the sun that gave them birth the collision again produces an enormous quantity of heat the pulverized mass of the colliding bodies is distributed freely through infinite space and the eternal drama of sunbirth begins afresh the sublime picture which modern astrophysics thus unveils before the mind's eye shows us an eternal birth and death of countless heavenly bodies a periodic change from one to the other of the different cosmogenetic conditions which we observe side by side in the universe while the embryo of a new world is being formed from a nebula in one corner of the vast stage of the universe another has already condensed into a rotating sphere of liquid fire in some far distant spot a third has already cast off rings at its equator 
which round themselves into planets a fourth has become a vast sun whose planets have formed a secondary retinue of moons and so on and between them are floating about in space myriads of smaller bodies meteorites or shooting stars which cross and recross the paths of the planets apparently like lawless vagabonds and of which a great number fall on to the planets every day thus there is a continuous but slow change in the velocities and the orbits of the revolving spheres the frozen moons fall on to the planets the planets on to their suns two distant suns perhaps already stark and cold rush together with inconceivable force and melt away into nebulous clouds and such prodigious heat is generated by the collision that the nebula is once more raised to incandescence and the old drama begins again yet in this perpetual motion the infinite substance of the universe the sum total of its matter and energy remains eternally unchanged and we have an eternal repetition in infinite time of the periodic dance of the worlds the metamorphosis of the cosmos that ever returns to its starting point over all rules the law of substance two progress of geology the earth and its origin were much later than the heavens in becoming the object of scientific investigation the numerous ancient and modern cosmogenies do indeed profess to give us as good an insight into the origin of the earth as into that of the heavens but the mythological raiment in which all alike are clothed betrays their origin in poetic fancy among the countless legends of creation which we find in the history of religions and of thought there is one that soon took precedence of all the rest the mosaic story of creation as told in the first book of the hexateuch it did not exist in its present form until long after the death of moses probably not until eight hundred years afterwards but its sources are much older and are to be found for the most part in assyrian babylonian and hindu legends this hebrew legend of creation obtained its great influence through its adoption into the christian faith and its consecration as the word of god greek philosophers had already five hundred years before christ explained the natural origin of the earth in the same way as that of other cosmic bodies xenophanes of colophon had even recognized the true character of the fossils which were afterwards to prove of such moment the great painter leonardo da vinci of the fifteenth century also explained the fossils as the petrified remains of animals which had lived in earlier periods of the earth's history but the authority of the bible 
especially the myth of the deluge prevented any further progress in this direction and ensured the triumph of the mosaic legend until about the middle of the last century it survives even at the present day among orthodox theologians however in the second half of the eighteenth century scientific inquiry into the structure of the crust of the earth set to work independently of the mosaic story and it soon led to certain conclusions as to the origin of the earth the founder of geology werner of freiberg thought that all the rocks were formed in water while voigt and hutton 1788 rightly contended that only the stratified fossil-bearing rocks had had an aquatic origin and that the volcanic or plutonic mountain ranges had been formed by the cooling down of molten matter the heated conflict of these neptunian and plutonic schools was still going on during the first three decades of the present century it was only settled when karl hoff eighteen twenty two established the principle of actualism and sir charles lyell applied it with signal success to the entire natural evolution of the earth the principles of geology of lyell eighteen thirty secured the full recognition of the supremely important theory of continuity in the formation of the earth's crust as opposed to the catastrophic theory of cuvier footnote confer the natural history of creation chapters three six fifteen and sixteen paleontology which had been founded by cuvier's work on fossil bones eighteen twelve was of the greatest service to geology by the middle of the present century it had advanced so far that the chief periods in the history of the earth and its inhabitants could be established the comparatively thin crust of the earth was now recognized with certainty to be the hard surface formed by the cooling of an incandescent fluid planet which still continues its slow unbroken course of refrigeration and condensation the crumpling of the stiffened crust the reaction of the molten fiery contents on the cool surface and especially the unceasing geological action of water are the natural causes which are daily at work in the secular formation of the crust of the earth and its mountains to the brilliant progress of modern geology we owe three extremely important results of general import in the first place it has excluded from the story of the earth all questions of miracle all questions of supernatural agencies in the building of the mountains and the shaping of the continents in the second place our idea of the length of the vast period of time which had been absorbed in their formation has been considerably enlarged we now know that the huge mountains of the paleozoic mesozoic and cenozoic formations have taken not thousands but millions of years in their growth in the third place 
we now know that all the countless fossils that are found in those formations are not sports of nature as was believed one hundred and fifty years ago but the petrified remains of organisms that lived in earlier periods of the earth's history and arose by gradual transformation from a long series of ancestors three progress of physics and chemistry the many important discoveries which these fundamental sciences have made during the nineteenth century are so well known and their practical application in every branch of modern life is so obvious that we need not discuss them in detail here in particular the application of steam and electricity has given to our nineteenth century its characteristic machinist stamp but the colossal progress of inorganic and organic chemistry is not less important all branches of modern civilization medicine and technology industry and agriculture mining and forestry land and water transport have been so much improved in the course of the century especially in the second half that our ancestors of the eighteenth century would find themselves in a new world could they return but more valuable and important still is the great theoretical expansion of our knowledge of nature which we owe to the establishment of the law of substance once lavoisier seventeen eighty nine had established the law of the persistence of matter and dalton eighteen o eight had founded his new atomic theory with its assistance a way was open to modern chemistry along which it has advanced with a rapidity and success beyond all anticipation the same must be said of physics in respect of the law of the conservation of energy its discovery by robert mayer eighteen forty two and hermann helmholtz eighteen forty seven inaugurated for this science also a new epoch of the most fruitful development for it put physics in a position to grasp the universal unity of the forces of nature and the eternal play of natural processes in which one force may be converted into another at any moment four progress of biology the great discoveries which astronomy and geology have made during the nineteenth century and which are of extreme importance to our whole system are nevertheless far surpassed by those of biology indeed we may say that the greater part of the many branches which this comprehensive science of organic life has recently produced have seen the light in the course of the present century as we saw in the first section during the century all branches of anatomy and physiology botany and zoology ontogeny and phylogeny have been so marvelously enriched by countless discoveries that the present condition of biological science is immeasurably superior to its condition a hundred years ago that applies first of all quantitatively 
to the colossal growth of our positive information in all those provinces and their several parts but it applies with even greater force qualitatively to the deepening of our comprehension of biological phenomena and our knowledge of their efficient causes in this charles darwin eighteen fifty nine takes the palm of victory by his theory of selection he has solved the great problem of organic creation of the natural origin of the countless forms of life by gradual transformation it is true that lamarck had recognized fifty years earlier that the mode of this transformation lay in the reciprocal action of heredity and adaptation however lamarck was hampered by his lack of the principle of selection and of that deeper insight into the true nature of organization which was only rendered possible after the founding of the theory of evolution and the cellular theory when we collated the results of these and other disciplines and found the key to their harmonious interpretation in the ancestral development of living beings we succeeded in establishing the monistic biology the principles of which i have endeavored to lay down securely in my general morphology five progress of anthropology in a certain sense the true science of man rational anthropology takes precedence of every other science the saying of the ancient sage man know thyself and that other famous maxim man is the measure of all things have been accepted and applied from all time and yet this science taking it in its widest sense has languished longer than all other sciences in the fetters of tradition and superstition we saw in the first section how slowly and how late the science of the human organism was developed one of its chief branches embryology was not firmly established until eighteen twenty eight by bear and another of equal importance the cellular theory until eighteen thirty eight by schwann and it was even later still when the answer was given to the question of all questions the great riddle of the origin of man although lamarck had pointed out the only path to a correct solution of it in eighteen o nine and had affirmed the descent of man from the ape it fell to darwin to establish the affirmation securely fifty years afterwards and to huxley to collect the most important proofs of it in eighteen sixty three in his place of man in nature i have myself made the first attempt in my anthropogeny eighteen seventy four to present in their historical connection the entire series of ancestors through which our race has been slowly evolved from the animal kingdom in the course of many millions of years conclusion 
the number of world riddles has been continually diminishing in the course of the nineteenth century through the aforesaid progress of a true knowledge of nature only one comprehensive riddle of the universe now remains the problem of substance what is the real character of this mighty world wonder that the realistic scientist calls nature or the universe the idealist philosopher calls substance or the cosmos the pious believer calls creator or god can we affirm to-day that the marvellous progress of modern cosmology has solved this problem of substance or at least that it has brought us nearer to the solution the answer to this final question naturally varies considerably according to the standpoint of the philosophic inquirer and his empirical acquaintance with the real world we grant at once that the innermost character of nature is just as little understood by us as it was by anaximander and empedocles twenty-four hundred years ago by spinoza and newton two hundred years ago and by kant and goethe one hundred years ago we must even grant that this essence of substance becomes more mysterious and enigmatic the deeper we penetrate into the knowledge of its attributes matter and energy and the more thoroughly we study its countless phenomenal forms and their evolution we do not know the thing in itself that lies behind these knowable phenomena but why trouble about this enigmatic thing in itself when we have no means of investigating it when we do not even clearly know whether it exists or not let us then leave the fruitless brooding over this ideal phantom to the pure metaphysician and let us instead as real physicists rejoice in the immense progress which has been actually made by our monistic philosophy of nature towering above all the achievements and discoveries of the century we have the great comprehensive law of substance the fundamental law of the constancy of matter and force the fact that substance is everywhere subject to eternal movement and transformation gives it the character also of the universal law of evolution as this supreme law has been firmly established and all others are subordinate to it we arrive at a conviction of the universal unity of nature and the eternal validity of its laws from the gloomy problem of substance we have evolved the clear law of substance the monism of the cosmos which we establish thereon proclaims the absolute dominion of the great eternal iron laws throughout the universe it thus shatters at the same time the three central dogmas of the dualistic philosophy the personality of god the immortality of the soul and the freedom of the will many of us certainly view with sharp regret or even with a profound sorrow 
the death of the gods that were so much to our parents and ancestors we must console ourselves in the words of the poet the times are changed old systems fall and new life o'er their ruins dawns the older view of idealistic dualism is breaking up with all its mystic and anthropistic dogmas but upon the vast field of ruins rises majestic and brilliant the new sun of our realistic monism which reveals to us the wonderful temple of nature in all its beauty in the sincere cult of the true the good and the beautiful which is the heart of our new monistic religion we find ample compensation for the anthropistic ideals of god freedom and immortality which we have lost throughout this discussion of the riddles of the universe i have clearly defined my consistent monistic position and its opposition to the still prevalent dualistic theory in this i am supported by the agreement of nearly all modern scientists who have the courage to accept a rounded philosophical system i must not however take leave of my readers without pointing out in a conciliatory way that this strenuous opposition may be toned down to a certain degree on clear and logical reflection may indeed even be converted into a friendly harmony in a thoroughly logical mind applying the highest principles with equal force in the entire field of the cosmos in both organic and inorganic nature the antithetical positions of theism and pantheism vitalism and mechanism approach until they touch each other unfortunately consecutive thought is a rare phenomenon in nature the great majority of philosophers are content to grasp with the right hand the pure knowledge that is built on experience but they will not part with the mystic faith based on revelation to which they cling with the left the best type of this contradictory dualism is the conflict of pure and practical reason in the critical philosophy of the most famous of modern thinkers immanuel kant on the other hand the number is always small of the thinkers who will boldly reject dualism and embrace pure monism that is equally true of consistent idealists and theists and of logical realists and pantheists however the reconciliation of these apparent antitheses and consequently the advance toward the solution of the fundamental riddle of the universe is brought nearer to us every year in the ever-increasing growth of our knowledge of nature we may therefore express a hope that the approaching twentieth century will complete the task of resolving the antitheses and by the construction of a system of pure monism spread far and wide the long-desired unity of world conception germany's greatest thinker and poet 
whose one hundred and fiftieth anniversary will soon be upon us, Wolfgang Goethe, gave this philosophy of unity a perfect poetic expression at the very beginning of the century in his immortal poems Faust, Prometheus, and God and the World by eternal laws of iron ruled must all fulfil the cycle of their destiny end of chapter twenty end of the riddle of the universe by ernst haeckel translated by joseph mccabe